Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can also check us out at the uh, Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I also do live streams at twitch.tv backslash scuttlelemur. Try to keep those pretty regularly uh, with my uh, work schedule. It's been a bit difficult, but... Uh, nonetheless, I have been trying to get in at least one uh, live stream a week. That's at twitch.tv backslash skullemer. You can also check us out at patreon.com backslash sonicsema. And uh, there you'll find exclusive uh, discussions on specific movie franchises or certain actors or film discussions, as well as some uh, early access reviews or uh, just brief takes on older movies I've seen for the first time recently. That's at patreon.com backslash We are going to be uh, talking about In the Heights, which just came out on, in theaters and on HBO Max, and it is from is based on the Broadway musical uh, with concept by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and uh, it's, it's a really entertaining movie. It's a really become a really interesting discussion when it comes to representation in cinema and I'm very pleased to be joined by a fellow critic and podcaster. She is one of the co-hosts of the Latinx Lens podcast and thank you very much for joining me, uh, Rosa Pera. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Um, before we get into In the Heights, uh, since this is your first time on the podcast, I want to uh, mm-hmm. give listeners a brief overview on sort of what inspired you to get into movies, what inspired you to start talking about movies, writing about movies, and then also podcasting about movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so my, <laughs> my little backstory is a bit interesting because I just happened to uh, just land in in film criticism it wasn't anything planned i haven't been a, a big cinephile my entire life it, it just something that randomly happened um i was beginning my my um new job at, at the hospital where i'm still currently working at and i was uh seeking a i don't know like a daily show or a podcast or something to listen to uh while working and then I discovered at the time uh, it was Collider Movie Talk, <laughs> um, and the, which they had like morning shows, like one hour uh, shows or a little bit under, I think it was 30 minutes, 45 minutes shows. Uh, at 10 in the morning, every day, Monday through Friday, it would just talk about movies, um, talk about movie news what was coming up um they would also review movies and so on and so forth so for for a good a few couple of months i just started to regularly listen to them and i was very much uh drawn to chemistry between the hosts and just the passion and the and, and the dedication that these hosts uh talked movies um how they very much related to movies, how they, they, they generally love movies. So um, every weekend, like every Friday or every Monday, they would talk about the new released films. And I decided that in order for me not to be lost <laughs> in the conversation, I would start going to the movie theater every weekend. 
and try to watch whatever they were talking about. So by the time it would come back to the week, I would not be as lost in the conversation. So that's how my uh, frequent movie going um, experience started. And it wouldn't be until a few months later uh, that I would start. I, I started just with an Instagram page, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I have, I still have my Instagram page. And that's where, where it all started. Uh, some friend of mine said, you know what, why don't you just make an Instagram page and then um, write one, two sentences reviews of what movies you've been watching and whether you recommend them or not, since I, I, I was going at the movie theater on a weekly basis. And that's how it started. Um, and then slowly but surely, it just slowly evolved into writing about movies. And then it, it was Wonder Woman. So um, 2017, from 2017, I haven't been in the in the field <laughs> for, for long. Uh, but it was Wonder Woman, the movie that that certainly catapulted um, my career and certainly said, uh, made me decide uh, to do this on a daily basis and to take it more seriously. Um, because there, there was the talk, of course, of, of the first ever female-led superhero movie, uh, live-action superhero movie directed by a woman. And I didn't understand why was that such a big deal until uh, learning that it's going to be told through the female lens and it's going to be told it's a female superhero, something we haven't had, unfortunately, until 2017. Um, and it was then that I realized the importance of uh, having that female lens and not only seeing the film through my female lens, but also writing about it and giving my own interpretations uh, about the movie and how I was receiving the movie. And from there on, that, that, that's where I started just writing movies. And that's when I, I get involved with, with Idol within their own league, um, which is a, a podcast website that is dedicated to highlighting women in, in the film industry from directors to actresses and how, and, and focusing on that female gaze as well. And how the male gaze uh, has certainly shaped <laughs> and, 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 um, certainly given this interpretation and perspective of what a woman is and, and what uh, a woman should be. And then, yeah, from there on, I decided to go to school. Uh, if, if I was gonna do this on a serious manner, I, I decided I, I had to have a good background. So I, in order for me to build that foundation, um, I had to go to school and I'm still currently working on my film degree. As I speak, I've been working on it for, ugh. I think I'm going on my second year now. I'm almost done with it though. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, I'm still going to school. And it was while I was doing school that I, I was taking a uh, race and gender uh, studies in American film. And uh, for week four, we were gonna learn about Latinos, Hispanics, um, uh, Native Americans and then Asian Americans and representation and contribution in film history in just one week, <laughs> three different <laughs> groups in one week. And that's where the, the, my, my ideas and my wheels started to turn after reading only a page and a half of Latinos in, in a 500 page textbook, only a page and a half was dedicated to Latinos and what they've done uh, throughout film history. So disappointed and upset and a little frustrated 
frustrated, I just sent out a tweet asking um, if anybody would be interested in, in listening to a podcast about um, just highlighting Latinos and highlighting our contribution in our, and how we also been represented in film and, and television. And um, luckily I got a very supportive or overwhelming uh, response. And lucky for me, Catherine was one of the, she was the first person to reply, uh, suggesting a, a potential partnership. If I ever needed anybody that she'd be more than willing to help. And <laughs> actually, Today, yeah, today is the 16th. Um, today is our one year anniversary of Latinx Lens. So it, it's like a, everything's just in a, a full circle. And yeah, now we're here it, it's been a year. It's been a, an interesting and very um, wonderful journey with Latinx Lens. I've learned so much, uh, so, so much since I started doing that podcast. And not, not only in terms of, of film history and Latinos, but about myself as well. Uh, I've, I've come to realize some of my own biases that I had no idea <laughs> <laughs> about just just talking about movies and, and, and so on and so forth. So that's been an incredible experience. And it, it, it's very coincidental and funny that all of this is catapulted and all of this has been um, building up to yeah. what it is now in the Heights and how that one page and a half of, of a, in a film history textbook pretty much has not changed anything because we're still talking about Latino representation. We're still talking about the lack of uh, our representation and how we need to diversify that and be more inclusive uh, to be able to actually depict uh, different demographics within our community because that's that, that that's a thing that um, I don't I'm not entirely sure a lot of people necessarily have a grasp or a great understanding of it but unfortunately the the term itself Latino it is a it is an umbrella term mm -hmm. um, that uh, that it's comprised of not just one or two countries it's a lot of countries. It's more than one. You know, we're talking about Mexico. We're talking about Central America. We're talking about the Caribbean and South America. That's several countries that you're trying to lump in together when in reality, we're not a monolith. Uh, we, we come in, in, in various shapes, forms, cultures, uh, languages, backgrounds. And, and that's something that still today, it's something yeah. we're still trying to, to work towards. Yeah, and I know uh, for for me, you know, somebody who I I I will admit it's like I haven't necessarily thought about too much. You know, I I've thought more about representation as the as the discussion has gone on over the past few years. But the fact that it really has been more in the past few years than like in the twenty plus years that I've been working as that I've been writing about film that I've been talking about film and you know I it's it's one of those things where I I do you know you you mentioned the fact that Latin Latinos Latinos a uh, umbrella term meaning so many things so many different countries I that's that's kind of you know and I'll I'll admit it, it's like I didn't really Think about that in terms of just how how limiting that, to a certain extent, that specific phrase, that specific idea, 
could be in terms of discussing representation in film. And it's it's one of those things where it's like there there are filmmakers there there are Latino filmmakers that I I love the Three Amigos I love you know film actors like Salma Hayek and uh, Gal Garcia Bur ah I sorry mm -hmm. I I can't remember I can't pronounce yeah his name. Gal Garcia Bernal yeah, yeah I, if I don't have his name in front of me it's like it's hard to you know remember what the pronunciation is I apologize. But the fact is, it's like I never really thought, you know, it's like I certainly have tried to, you know, I, I'm certainly somebody who have, has always tried to expand my horizons as far as how I think about not just represent, how, how I think about different cultures and how I experience different cultures and different perspectives in film, because that's something that I've been passionate about for over 20 years. But mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I will admit, it's been a learning perspective. And I know your perspective and other perspectives, because uh, I, I first, uh, I, I think I first connected with you when you were at, in their own league. And right. uh, I, you know, and that was, I, I've become familiar with so many more female filmmakers because of, you know, really because of people like you and B at, in their own league really talking about those filmmakers and then with uh, Latinx Lens and following you as you're talking, as you've uh, started to really grow into talking about that repre larger representation, being able mm -hmm. to expand my horizons in terms of my understanding of why this type of representation matters. I mean, I've always I, I've always felt like representation matters. I just didn't really think about what exactly that means. And I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think I'm like a lot of, you know, I, I think I'm like a lot of middle-aged white guys who've basically been represented since the silent era in Hollywood, where it's like, I I don't think, you know, there was a time where I maybe didn't think about as much or as seriously, I should say, as much as I should have. And it's been great to be able to say, it's been rewarding to be able to start to think about it more. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 absolutely. And um, it is, it, it's even a learning process to me because whatever little representation we've had as Latinos, it's been predominantly me. It's been that Mexican-American perspective, mm -hmm. um, that Chicano perspective from East LA. <laughs> um, so, so we have movies like Stand and Deliver and Sutsu and Blood In and Blood Out, American Me. So certainly my, um, my demographic has been represented um, quite I mean, not enough, of course, yeah. <laughs> in terms of, of representation, but whatever little representation we have had, it has been the Mexican-American experience. Um, and, and that's another thing because um, it, a, a lot of people feel, uh, and, and of course, it's, it's not people's uh, fault. Um, uh, watching movie and, tele and, and, and television, you do unconsciously develop this pre preconceived notion of certain demographics of certain groups. And... Um, to some extent that a, a lot of people find surprising, but particularly if you don't travel a lot, mm -hmm. uh, they would find surprising that 
yes, they are Latinos all across the country. Uh, unfortunately, only the ones that are being depicted are either here in Southern California or New York, or just the bigger well-known cities. Uh, but if you go to Arizona, you go to New Mexico, you go to Texas, Texas only has had, uh, well, thanks to Robert Rodriguez, there's been a little bit more uh, help there, but I mean, Selena, who, who's at Tejana. But other than that, I don't think like on, on a bigger, wider picture, there hasn't been that much representation. And this is just the Mexican, Mexican-American experience. Um, and it, which is why having something like In the Heights does rep that's representing predominantly a Caribbean perspective, like from Dominicans and, and Puerto Ricans um, and Cubans, but not necessarily that they're there, but it's the U.S. experience of the Latino, uh, Latinos that's also very much missing and, and, and reminiscent of in, in Hollywood. Because yes, we, we do have a lot of the films from, from the Three Amigos, like Quiñarrito and Del Toro and Cuaron. Um, and, and some of their films are based in Mexico, but we, we I can't for obvious reasons. There is no way that I can relate as much to a movie like Quito Mama Tambien or Amores Perros like I would with the Stand and Deliver and um, uh, probably American Me or, or of some sorts because the Latino U.S. experience is completely different from mm -hmm. either being in Mexico or being in, 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 in your motherland pretty much. So, so that also, it's an interesting perspective that, that, that needs to be um, explored um, a little deeper, but yeah, yeah, representation. And, and I'm just speaking out loud and I'm speaking just nationalities pretty much. Uh, I, I personally think representation goes farther than that. Um, uh, I think in, in terms of with, within the Heights, it's been, we've been discussing it with colorism. Um, but in my opinion, I think, believe it or not, <laughs> there's, there, there is Native Americans uh, in a lot of these Latino countries. So that perspective is also um, an, an interesting one to uh, look into. There's Asians in, in a lot of Latin American countries as well. So it, it's just these little, uh, far more subgroups that are further, further um, in, in need of representation. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I think diversity, we're talking about diversity. I think sizeism uh, being, of course, a little bit thicker or your height or your style of hair, um, disability, LGBTQ representation, it just goes <laughs> so many different horizons that uh, all those little uh, prospects do exist in our community as well, but aren't necessarily represented as much. What What would you say um, makes for, you know, I mean, obviously this is this is kind of a subjective term. It, it kind of depends on your world experience. It kind of depends on your personal perspective on mm -hmm, life. Mm -hmm. What would you consider successful representation in movies? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very interesting question because it, it's going <laughs> to, and it's going to be a very complex <laughs> yeah. answer because to me, uh, successful representation is uh, where if not all, but a good majority of people have seen themselves represented in film more than once. Um, and I think I was um, 
was being interviewed for, for something very similar uh, in terms of Latino representation. And I, and this is something I learned while doing Latinx Lens. I was watching this, the documentary of Danny Trejo and he was asked uh, what was his thoughts? Why, what was his feeling about um, always constantly being depicted as the inmate, as the bad guy, as the cholo, as the gang member? And his answer was, I am the gang member. I have been in prison. I have been an inmate. So that is me. Um, and I think at that moment I realized, okay, we're always talking about stereotypes and we're always um, grouping um, and labeling stereotypes as either gang members or inmates or, or maids, criminals, narcos, um, or construction workers, but they do exist <laughs> within the, our Latino community. So I think a, a, a successful type of representation is depicting not only those type of characters, but other characters too. Because within our community also, we have astronauts, we have civil rights activists, we have musicians, we have artists, um, we have medical professionals. I mean, I'm a, lab, I'm a laboratory scientist. <laughs> Where's my, my story? Um, and there, there, there's far more. We have athletes. There, there's so, much, so many more professions that Latinos um, are currently in that those stories have not been have not been told we 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 have of course we have la bamba and we have selena but we have far more musicians than that yeah. uh we, we we have i mean sports films come on we have a lot of athletes come on mm -hmm. we have Lionel messi we have pele i mean where are those stories uh we yes we do have uh, documentaries i i watched the pele documentary and the maradona one but where are the films yeah. um uh, that, that are not that. We have astronauts too. We have uh, writers like novelists and, and, and that are in literature and, and, po and poets. We have a lot. Um, and, and those are, I think, the stories that we should also be exploring, not just limiting it to just being uh, just, uh, and, and I don't actually consider them negative uh, representation um, when it comes to the mates or the criminals or anything like that, because they do exist. Mm -hmm. I grew up in East LA, that what you see in American Me, what you see in Blood In and Blood Out, I grew up surrounded by that. It, it, it is accurately depicted. It's not, to me, it's not a stereotype. It was my childhood. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it, it's just going outside of that. I think something like Stand and Deliver certainly um, is something that also takes place in East LA. You do have your, your gang member representation, but you do have these group of students who are trying to, to literally pass calculus in, in the high school years. And because of their complexion, complexions, because of the Spanish surnames, because they're Chicanos, they're Mexican-Americans, um, they are already assumed, they, they're looked upon as less and not smart enough to actually pass calculus. And I kid you not, <laughs> when I was taking calculus in college, I would watch Stand and Deliver like four to five times a week just for motivation purposes. Cause, <laughs> and it worked, I passed. <laughs>
<laughs> it worked. Um, but stories like that, I mean, we have more than one Jaime Escalante. I'm pretty sure we have professors that have done um, far more and not just in Istale, but everywhere else. I mean, Dolores Huerta or Cesar Chavez. I know we have a Cesar Chavez film that was directed by Diego Luna. Uh, not too great, but <laughs> um, I'm sure we can do far more. And, and, and there's certainly, and, and, and also like something that like Hustlers, for instance, mm -hmm. um, that was starring Jennifer Lopez. And whether you think um, the, the profession is morally right or not, that's independently uh, up to the viewer. But these characters were complex, mm -hmm. <laughs> they were layered. And I think that's also another thing that's missing within either our gang films or our inmates or the narcos, or the maids, or anything like that. They're so one-dimensional and so reduced um, that oftentimes the lack of complexity adds probably to probably the negative image um, that a lot of people are taking away from these characters. And, and it's it's a various amount of, of elements that I think that need to be incorporated to have successful representation. but know that the Latinos are not only Mexicans, um, that they don't only live in Estale or New York, uh, they live <laughs> across the country. And just know that, yeah, we all come in different shades, shapes, uh, forms and languages. And it's just far more than what we've seen in film. And, and that's something that we, um, I mean, advocating for <laughs> being vocal about it, having these conversations certainly help. Um, but I think that's definitely something I'm trying to do with the podcast. Yeah, trying to seek out uh, the smaller films, the films that mm -hmm. don't necessarily get the promotions. Um, and I am aware I'm a, in a very privileged position where I'm just doing this uh, for free. I'm not getting paid for it. So mm -hmm. I don't have that pressure uh, from, from bigger outlets or, 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 or anybody um, behind my head telling me, you need to review this, you need to do this because we need the clicks and we need anything. And I think that's certainly something that's um, advantageous in our end to being a, a freelancer and doing our own thing our own way. Mm -hmm. No, um, because, I, uh -huh. no, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. I was just going to say, because we, we also like put out tweets asking like up and comer uh, Latino directors say they want to email us their, their films mm -hmm. um, that still have not found distributors or short films or anything like that. That also we, we try to bring a little bit of attention to. So, so whatever we can do um, to bring more eyes or any attention to it, we, we were trying our best as well. Who, who are some, before we get into In the Heights, who are some mm -hmm. uh, filmmakers other than the ones that most people know of that you've really connected with their work? Yes. Well, of course, everybody knows the three amigos. Um, I, I have the, the unpopular opinion that, that Alejandro González-Signarito is my favorite out of the three. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, but I think I prefer him over Del Toro and Cuaron and... and but it's just because out of the three, he's most of the socialist mm -hmm. um, out of the three. And I, his stories, his, his vision and his realism um, approach to everything uh, is something that very much connects with me. I don't mind losing myself in, in Del Toro's like imagination. I would love that. I, I enjoy that every now and then. And Cuaron is perhaps the most um, 
versatile out of the three um, in terms of filmography. He certainly has a diverse <laughs> set of films. <laughs> um, he has the most diverse out of the three. Uh, but I mean, I think what Robert uh, Rodriguez has done, and of course everybody knows him, certainly something that it's worth uh, mentioning because he was one of the very, he was one of the first U.S. born Latinos uh, to make it into Hollywood and not necessarily allow himself to be puppeteered by the Hollywood studios. Um, he certainly wanted his creative control of his films and he's still ongoing. Mm -hmm. And one of the very first directors to depict Latinos um, as just Latinos, not necessarily be pondering uh, our cultural uh, background or identity in films, just like we see in Spy Kids. And yeah. We see and We Can Be Heroes, it's just normalized. Um, so, so that's something very interesting, a little battle angel as well. Um, I think to, for me, we just recently did an episode on Patricia Cardoso. She's a Colombian filmmaker. Um, she did Real Women Have Curves, a smaller film. I think the female filmmakers, which unfortunately, there's not that many Latinas. Um, I, I'm, I'm sad to report. Uh, but Patricia Cardoso is one of them. Patricia Regan is the other one. Um, her films are certainly something that have connected with me a lot. Both of them certainly tell very female-centric um, narratives. And of course, something that I'm, I'm most likely going to connect to you. And who else am I thinking of here? Um, directors, directors. I mean, Edward James Olmos is a director, but we only covered him as an actor. Um, I think... Let me see. I think Pablo Pablo Larraín. I think he's a Chilean filmmaker. He's the one that's currently directing Spencer, and he did Jackie, if I'm not mistaken. <sighs> Let me double check on this. Do not quote me. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm getting this the names right and the films right. Yes, he's Chilean. Yes, Jackie. And he's currently doing Spencer. Yes. Um, yeah, some of his films are certainly uh, interesting <laughs> to see. And then, of course, we, we, we do know of Andy Muschietti, who's an Argentinian film. He did the It films. Um, who else? I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, Aurora Guerrero. Uh, Aurora Guerrero, she directed um, Mosquita y Mari, which is currently <laughs> streaming on Netflix. Um, and th that was much of a smaller film, but it looks into two Chicanas, two Mexican-American. It's a, a coming-of-age story about um, two girls who just developed this friendship that might end up developing into something more. We don't know. You'll have to watch the movie to find out. But it, it takes place in an area here in Southern California in a city that isn't necessarily depicted in film a lot, which is Huntington Park, um, which is like a 20, it's like a good 20, 15 minute uh, drive. I think it's either east or west of, of East LA. So it's not that far from East LA. And that, that, that was certainly an interesting movie that, that we got the opportunity um, to talk about also in our podcast. But yeah, Aurora Guerrero, she's certainly another director that I recommend keeping an eye out for. Okay. Um, there, there are certainly some good, there, there are certainly some good recommendations. I, I was also going to, I, I was thinking about uh, 
Alexis uh, Gambis and his film Son mm. of Monarch is Monarchs, which played Sundance, and I saw it for the Atlanta Film Festival earlier this year, and uh, it's it's really a it's really a fascinating movie, and it's it's one of those movies. It's about a uh, scientist who is who goes home for the over because of the uh, death of a family member, and it really has a profound impact on him. And uh, I actually got a chance to interview uh, Gambus for the, my coverage of the Atlanta Film Festival, and you can find that review and that interview on Sonic Cinema. And it's, I, I would definitely recommend that as one to check out. I, I think it's a, I, I think it's a fascinating uh, drama, and I, I think it's one that is really, I, I think it's one that can unexpectedly connect with people as well. I agree. It was my second favorite film of Sundance, Son of Monarchs. Um, and uh, I didn't get the chance to talk to Alexis Gambis. But yes, he's also another uh, director to look out for. Um, Tenoch Huerta is certainly slowly but surely becoming one of my favorite currently working um, actors at the moment. And I loved absolutely loved Son of Monarchs. I remember watching it for the first time and I tweeted that I had seen a movie that had blown my entire existence away. <laughs> and that was this film. I had never seen a scientist <laughs> depicted in film like this one. And I could not relate to it more mm -hmm. on a professional level, on a cultural level, and on so many levels, being here in the United States and and and, and just his life going going back and forth to Mexico and, and living in the U.S. as well, that was certainly something. And of course, they touch upon these social political um, narratives, mm -hmm. and it's visually gorgeous and how they yeah. utilize the the monarch butterflies too, just not only uh, to symbolize change and perhaps like this metamorphosis, but also as a it's a culturally, um, it's also an important cultural element in Mexico. Uh, I think it is said that every time the monarch butterfly arrives in, in, in Mexico, that's when it's most likely going to be start the Day of the Dead. So, so there's this just cultural connection amongst everything that's just gorgeous and beautiful. And I need to watch it one more time because it's certainly in contention of being one of my favorites. I hope hopefully it gets distributed this year. Um, I, I've been raving about that film and they, they keep telling me, oh, just wait, just wait. You'll, you'll hear some news soon. And if it does, it's certainly going to be one of my favorites of the year. Yeah. Uh, well, with that being said, uh, let's, let's go ahead and talk about In the Heights, which just, like I said earlier, came out on in theaters and HBO Max. I unfortunately... Uh, because of a time crunch with my schedule, I've been unable to see it in theaters, but I did get a chance to see it in HBO Max this week. I know you've seen it considerably more times than me. Uh, I, I think you're up to... How many times are you up to on seeing this movie so far? As of today, it's been nine times. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's been a long time since I've seen a movie that many times uh, that was a current movie. And uh, it's this. This is just a. This is a joyous film. It it really is. Um, 
It is from the director of Crazy Rich Asians. He did at least one of the Step Up movies, I think. He also mm-hmm. done G.I. Joe Retaliation. He's also done Now You See Me Too. Um, he he is... Uh, this is this is a film about the story uh, told by the main character Usnavi of Washington Heights, and in particular, three days in Washington Heights before a blackout occurs. And it really, it one of the things that interested me in watching the movie is that it's there are certainly there are certainly story elements, there are certainly narrative threads that we follow. But it's not really an overlying n- big epic arc. It's just a lot of very small controlled arcs. And just to bring really bring to life uh, the area of Washington Heights in New York. And it's that's one of the things I really liked about it is that it really doesn't feel like it's this big sprawling film, even though it's got some really fantastic and kind of epic dance sequences in it. But mm-hmm. it's it's very down to earth and it's very personal, and that's one of the things I really liked about it. Just just to uh, start off, start the ball rolling on discussing it. Yes, uh, I don't even know where to start, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's not because I. I know how I feel about the movie. I mean, I've seen it nine times. It's obviously a rewatchable film. Um, I plan to watch it once more, at least in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's where I'll limit myself. Um, <laughs> and it, it's become very interesting because of the um, everything that's been surrounding, surrounding it. And, and this was before... Um, it started like with the box office and I think that's that's the box office numbers and how it performed and that, that that's I think that something that very much um intrigued me because a lot of people were um, they over overestimated how much it was going to do and and it opened very much lower than they expected and and now there's there's all these talks about how it's underperforming and how it's a flop and blah 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 Independently of, of the controversies and, and everything that's been surrounding it, I, as I've seen this film, it's been growing and growing and growing and growing on me. And as, as I continue to watch it, I continue to watch it and watch it and watch it and watch it again. It, it's come to the point where it continues to climb up my favorites of the year mm-hmm. um, for, very, for, for, for different reasons. I initially wasn't um in love with the movie um if you listen to our review you can you can see why you can listen to why um i wasn't in love with it at the time but now that i've had the opportunity to rewatch it and nitpick certain points and um had the chance to just sit with it because this is not this is not the movie that it has uh, it, it, the narrative is perhaps the weakest part <laughs> of, of the movie, if I'm being honest. Um, and if you're going into this film seeking a very strong narrative and, and seeking, like you were saying, um, perhaps a main focus story, 
you're not going to get that. They do give that, that um, impression that the story of Usnabi, well, he's certainly the main character. He's the one yeah. narrating everything that's going on. And we start with him and then we end the movie with him. Um, so, so in that sense, yes. But believe it or not, I, I think he, as much as he is one of the protagonists, there's other characters that do take up the same amount of screen time as he does. And, uh, and I understand how people can feel like it's a bit um, disjointed in a way, uh, because mm -hmm. that's how I felt at first. At first, I was like, this is too convoluted. You're trying to handle too many storylines, too many subplots, some of them that don't even have any resolution. So what, what what's going on? Um, but like you said, this is literally just a movie about a community. And, and that I think that's the main, main storyline here. It's yeah. the community of Washington Heights. Um, and these people just happen to live there. They just happen to reside there. Yes, we, we go alongside them and, and their dreams and their struggles and everything they, they, they experience. But for people seeking a far more complex and deeper uh, <laughs> narrative in, in a musical, you're not going to get that here. This is far more, it's a much more lighter uh, film, lighter yeah. in terms of, of, of the heaviness, in terms of challenges and the circumstances that these characters face. Um, and the, the more I, I watch it, I've come to realize that, yes, some of these characters may seem like they're one layered, very, very mm -hmm. uh, not too complex or stretched out a lot. Uh, there were a few times, particularly in the first viewing, when I was with one character and then it took me like 20, 30 minutes to see that character again in the film. <laughs> and then you're like, oh my God, okay, there's this person again. Um, but you know what, as it's just been growing on me and, 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 and it's just a movie that it's a celebration, a celebration of, of, of cultures, a, a celebration of our own heritage, celebration of dreams. Uh, it's one of the very, very, very few Latino films that does not involve violence or guns yeah. or any trauma porn that we're so accustomed to watching. Um, and I, I think I, I, when I was being interviewed for, for Teen Vogue, I said that it was very refreshing to not see a Latino antagonist in this movie. Mm -hmm. And people replied, well, Mr. Softy is the antagonist. That's just, uh, that, <laughs> that's just that the antagonist we have in this film. A yeah. damn ice cream dude who's <laughs> <laughs> in his truck taking away the customers of, of, yeah. of, of the Piragua guy. Um, mm -hmm. That's as bad as we get. And, and that was so refreshing to watch mm -hmm. uh, that it was just, wow. I, I was blown away by that because it's rare. It's rare. It's mm -hmm. like I was telling you earlier, where we're so accustomed to seeing the criminals and the inmates and the gangs, that seeing something like this might be shocking at first. <laughs> um, but now, now that I've seen it multiple times, it, it's been settling in, and I've been able to marinate through, um, marinate in it, and it's just, it's lovely. The songs are gorgeous. Everything, the choreography, everything, and in the storylines. I mean. Everything. <laughs> I love everything. I don't know where, where you want to go next, but <laughs> well, it's just, I love it. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I, I think that's, that's one of those things where if that, that's honestly the best type of movie to be able to watch is the type of movie where 
even if you don't necessarily love it the first time, the more you see it, the more it resonates with you, the more it connects mm-hmm. with you. And I've certainly had plenty of experiences with that over the years. But um, yeah, this is, you know, and this is this is a movie that like it just is, like you said, it's very light. And, I mean, there are issues of, there are issues of prejudice, of systemic oppression, of the immigration Mm -hmm. system, and financial struggles that ultimately play a part in the fates of a lot of these characters. But ultimately, that's not necessarily what this movie is about. It's about, like you said, it's about dreams. And it's, it's also about the a generation of dreamers whose parents brought them to this country or who came to this country for another life. And one of the things that really connected with me personally about it is I remember that experience. I mean, I certainly don't have the same experience the characters have in the movie, but I remember when my parents moved us down to Georgia 30-plus years ago. And it was... It was because of the fact that they felt like there were opportunities in that move that I wouldn't have necessarily gotten in Ohio. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, and that's something that for a time I wrestled with. And it was over, you know, as I grew up, as I became a teenager, as I started to have some of those experience that they, experiences that they were hoping that I would have, you know, it's like that pain kind of went away, but also it also brought up another issue, which I think the movie really handles very well in the the uh, dynamic between Nina and Kevin, uh, the Jimmy Smith's character. And that is the idea of living your life versus living the life that your parents want for you. And that is a tough dynamic to wrestle with. Uh, If, if at times, I mean, I definitely struggled with in my twenties and it wasn't until I realized that it's like, you know what? I mean, I've, I've accomplished a lot of things. I mean, I certainly hadn't accomplished a lot of the things that they had by the time I was certain ages and, stuff like that, but I had also built a certain life for myself in terms of friends, in terms of loved ones, in terms of people, things that I enjoyed doing, in terms of things that I enjoyed to talk about, and things I was passionate about, and so I connected with, in this film, I connected with the, the struggle that Nina is feeling when her father is, you know, he he's so set on her going to college and having that experience that he didn't have, but she doesn't necessarily want it. And then when she realizes, well, I can still do that and have it mean something that's passionate to me. And I that that was that was honestly like that was the most compelling arc in the movie for me. I mean, I enjoyed the rest of the movie. I enjoyed the rest of the characters, you know, but at the same time, it's like that is the one that really emotionally connected with me and was fascinating to see the way it played out 
in the songs and in the narrative as it, you know, it, as it exists in the film. Yes, I completely agree. I think Nina's, Nina's story connects with a lot of us, particularly those of us who are uh, the children, in, in our case, of either immigrants or, or people who just recently moved here, um, whether legally or illegally, however you wish. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, uh, yeah, the, the, the being the children of immigrants certainly does come with a load of responsibilities. Um, you do have to figure uh, what you want to do or what dreams you want to live. You want to, like you say, you want to live your own, so you want to live your parents, uh, your parents' dreams, and that's certainly a struggle that a lot of us go through. In addition to not being able to, uh, being able to afford. Uh, Education. Education is so expensive. Yeah. And, 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 and that aspect also was certainly an interesting one to explore. And ultimately, I think what got me the most, and Nina and Kevin certainly were one of my favorite stories, uh, storylines here, was the moment when she decides uh, what she wants to do. And mm -hmm. then um, he leans back and he says, well this is the moment you do better than me. Mm -hmm. And it, it, that, that quote in that moment was so touching and so moving because as a parent, um, and that's the thing in that, in that scenario, I can relate as a mother, but I can also relate as the daughter of immigrants. That's, that's what I'm always telling my kids. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be better than me. Mm -hmm. I want you to do more than what I'm doing now. Um, I want you to be more. I want you to dream, dream as big as you can. And it, it, that moment was just very touching. And, and I was like, wow, <laughs> this is extraordinary. He, he comes uh, to, to the US, he literally builds his own business. He literally has to sell it off for his daughter's education mm -hmm. and he loses the business eventually. And when she decides to to select her own career and everything, he's like, wow, this is where you do better than me. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. And I mean, it, it really just taps into that moment that we all hope that we have with our parents where we feel a sense of validation from them yes. about the choices that we've made. And right. that that it's that's something that's universal. It doesn't matter what your background is. It's like if you have if you've ever been fortunate enough to have that experience, it means something when you see it represented on screen. And mm -hmm. you know it's you know and Usnavi is definitely the main character, and it's like his his sort of love story with Vanessa and that is you know that's that's i guess that's kind of the sort of the backbone of the movie from a narrative standpoint it's like you know cuz you always kind of have to have a certain you know you always kind of have to have a romance at the beginning at at the center of a musical i guess to a certain extent but at the same time it's yeah. like honestly you have this you have the one with Benny and Nina and honestly the with uh, Sunny uh, Usnavi's cousin. It's like that's the most, that's the most interesting dynamic there is with Usnavi and Sunny, not so much with Usnavi and Vanessa, 
but the the relationship between Benny and Nina is and it, there are wonderful songs in this movie that really between them that really charts that evolution and it's just it's just beautiful it's and the way that they're the way that they're shot it's 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 magical and i i love that you know in the in the grand scheme of things i mean the the framing device of usnavi telling the kids the story of washington heights it it ultimately doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the grand scheme of things when you get to the end but i love the fact that it sets this movie kind of up as a fa fable and it's there's a sense of there's a sense of escapism to this movie be, which I feel like, to a certain extent, a lot of movie musicals sort of lose sight from because of the fact that it's like, it, you know, to a certain extent, some of them are, you know, something like Les Mis, which is really well put together, but it's also very depressing and dark. Mm -hmm. Fam of the Opera was kind of the same way. It's like, and I mean, even Rent, which I, I love, it's like, that was... There, there wasn't a lot of artificiality to that movie. It was very, like, you know, you, you felt like these characters might be actually in New York singing this song. And it's like, that's not to say there's not a sense of reality to In the Heights. It is. It's just, it's, it's a sense of reality within the context of that film that's not right. trying to reflect an actual reality. And I, I think that is important for movie musicals to sort of remember at times. Yes, yes, it does have like this 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 fantastical aspect to it. Um, particularly, there there's some little tiny bits and pieces like a little animation uh, mm. that that's incorporated throughout. <laughs> and then I am the actually. Um, I, I understand a lot of people. Uh, I, I've heard this this uh, a lot about him talking to the kids and and how that wasn't necessarily um, intricate to the to the story. I I actually liked it to be yeah. honest because I, I hadn't well first of all I hadn't seen the musical I hadn't seen the play um, so I was thinking that I was I was literally thinking I was uh, oh my god are we about to uh, can I spoil this right now <laughs> I, 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 I mean, don't know I, I mean we I mean we can if you want to but I, I I it it we can we can put a spoiler alert on here that's fine. Are you sure? I, yeah. I don't want you yeah. to lose any. No, that's okay. fine. Cool. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, because I had not seen uh, the, the the actual Broadway play. Uh, I hadn't seen the play at all. I wasn't sure how this was going to end. I genuinely thought he was in Dominican Republic when all of this was going on. Right. So my expectations were, okay, well, he is leaving. There's no way he's going to stay. So the ending certainly did um surprised me a bit I was not expecting that and and then another part is and and I think I don't know I'm not entirely sure if this is a Lynn um thing but there there's something about legacy and the importance of storytelling um that he often he does the same thing with Hamilton mm -hmm. um and and like who who dies and who tells your story and then and then all that good stuff and it's certainly sprinkled here especially with your, your, your newer generation, the one that's growing up. And, and I find it very um, interesting, particularly when he starts talking to them and he tells, tells them, 
Washington Heights, say it so you won't forget it. Mm -hmm. So we, our legacy continues going on. It continues. And also incorporated in that is one of my personal favorite scenes is when they list all these Latinas, all these important Latinas in, in, in history and in, in um, film, um, civil activists. We have Frida Kahlo. Uh, you have Celia Cruz, a, a famous musician from, from uh, Cuba. And you have Dolores Huerta. <laughs> so, so the list of the Latinas, that was another uh, one of my favorite parts in, in the movie um which again it, it's pretty much reiterate reiterating reiterating ah, i can't talk um to particularly to the two little girls that that certainly filled my heart because now they know who these women are yeah. now they have somebody to look up to and that little fist bump at the end between those two girls was just Again, it was those little details mm -hmm. that were very significant to me. And when my girls watched the movie and the list was going on, I'm like, you need to check out who these women are, what they've done. Um, and I, I think Rita Moreno is in, in there too. Uh, Rita Moreno and Celia Cruz and Frida Kahlo and, mm -hmm. and Isabel um, and Sandra Cisneros, a famous author uh, who, who wrote um, The House on Mango Street. So yeah, these famous Latinas that now these girls have to look up to. And again, it's the legacy, the legacy mm -hmm. that Latinos continue to live. So that aspect, I personally did like it. It was quite important to me. Perhaps because I, I was a bit surprised by the ending. I was not yeah. expecting that. Uh, but for what it stands for, uh, the, the importance of storytelling and that legacy and, and um, having your children. Now that he's been telling the story, um, I'm pretty sure his daughter, I hope, <laughs> continues mm -hmm. to tell the story and just keeps it going on to her kids and then grandkids and, and so on and so forth. So I didn't mind it, but I understand why a lot of people wouldn't necessarily be fond of it. Yeah. Ultimately, I like the, uh, I, I like the uh, framing device as well for, for the reason I mentioned earlier that sort of sets up the movie as a fail, fable is something that's more, mm -hmm. a little bit more fantasy. But also, yeah. I, I like, I do actually, you know, and I, here's where I don't necessarily mind spoiling the ending to it. Because of the fact that I, I think that is sort of the that is sort of the counter of the end of Usnavi's arc where he realizes that he doesn't need to go to the Dominican Republic to open up reopen up his 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 father's you know his father's uh, legacy mm -hmm. and he wants to continue his own. I I think that is. It, it's very much in peace with Nina's arc as well, where it's like they basically both come to these realizations of what they want their legacies to be and what the mm -hmm. importance of that legacy is. And it, that's, that's one of the reasons why I do like, ultimately I do think that's an important part of it because of the fact that it does set up that uh, idea at the end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing I very much uh, enjoyed about uh, the movie. As uplifting and optimistic as it can be, it doesn't necessarily have like the the, the nicely uh, tied bow and, and happily ever after for all of the mm -hmm. uh, characters. Like the, the salon ladies, they were literally gentrified out of there. They, they couldn't afford to pay rent anymore. So 
they they did have to move. They had to leave. Uh, similar thing with Nina. Nina ends up leaving as well. She she comes home um, to I guess mentally sort her things out and 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 figure out what she wants to do and eventually leaves again. And and, and it's this. I love like on a microscopic level, on the bigger lens, how a lot of us, and and there's different perspectives, all of us have different uh, dreams, all of us have uh, different views, experiences, and how for a lot of them, um, for the main characters that is, staying in Washington Heights was looked upon as either not, not not being good enough for you to advance your career, which is why we have the character of Vanessa wanted to move uptown because mm-hmm. she feels doing that, she, her career can blossom somehow. And of course, Nina also, she comes back, uh, but eventually leaves again. And then we have Usnavi who eventually wants to leave back to uh, the Dominican Republic. And how that itself uh, stands and, and symbolizes for everybody, it's going to be different. For some people, if you stay here, if you don't get out, particularly with the character of Nina, how her song um, unfolds, then you're stuck. But if you do get out, there's this interesting um, dichotomy that they explore in the movie, um, that if you do get out, like Nina says, I feel like um, I'm betraying my people, that I'm betraying Mm -hmm. my community by going somewhere else and not not being with you guys. So it's very an interesting concept that they are exploring here and eventually some people do end up leaving um others <laughs> stay but I, I love how they were able to have a diverse group of characters with their respective dreams and their respective um, views on either the community and how to uh, hopefully accomplish those dreams yeah so um, let's let's go ahead and uh, talk about the idea of representation in this movie, which, mm-hmm. needless to say, this this past week has seen a bit of an uproar with regards to a lot of criticisms, and uh, you know I you know I've been basically wanting to sit back, stand back, and read a lot of the people's a lot of other people's thoughts and uh perspectives on the issue and uh with regards to the colorism as you mentioned earlier in particular with regards to the uh afro latinx uh community in it and uh one of the things that was has been mentioned is uh the the lack of it and it's very light-skinned very fair-skinned uh, characters throughout the film, and uh, I, you know, it. This is this is a convert. I, I to a certain extent, I feel like this conversation is sort of a, above my above my grade as far as being able to be a part of it. Um, but uh, I, I'm wondering, sort of, you know, I I've been following you on Twitter and sort of how as you've been taking things in as well as you've been taking different perspectives as well and I just wanted to kind of talk uh, I, I kind of wanted to give you a chance to uh, give your thoughts on the uh, representation or lack thereof in this movie mm-hmm. yes um, it's I can only speak 
as a brown <laughs> Chicana uh, from East LA. I have never been to Washington Heights, so I cannot either confirm or deny um, of how it looks, of its resonance, and, and how if it's actually being accurately depicted in this film. Mm. I cannot deny or confirm any of that because I've never been there and that would be quite disingenuous from my, from my end. Um, what I can say though is if I'm, if I'm going um, based, ba my tweets pretty much say that uh, I am aware of the issue of colorism within the Latino community. Um, I'm pretty much, I'm brown, a little bit darker brown skin. I, I am not white passing whatsoever. Um, you look at me and you either see an indigenous woman or a Mexican woman. Um, and from stereotypical, of course. Uh, and I can only speak from, believe it or not, from my privilege, uh, because I, I can't not speak on behalf of the Afro-Latinos because I'm not a member of the community. Uh, so therefore it would be again, disingenuous from my end. But I can say that as a brown Chicana, it's been a learning process. Uh, it's been a learning process to have these conversations in terms of colorism and racism. And, it's, it's, I can say that colorism does exist in the Latino community. I grew up um, in, in a very predominantly Mexican household. Uh, my mother was very much light skinned, like white passing. She had green eyes, but she was born in Mexico. Um, my father was not, <laughs> it was not light skinned, which is where I get my brownness from. And I, I did uh, experience microaggressions because of my skin tone when I was younger. I, I was called prietita or like little darker. I don't even know how to translate that into English. Um, so I, I can attest that there is colorism issues in, in the Latino community. And even though I, I, I am brown, I, I do acknowledge that we have a lot of work to do mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of representation, in terms of um, on screen and how it's no, it's no secret. Yeah. <laughs> it's no secret that, that Hollywood uh, tends to prefer lighter skinned Latinos. Um, I mean, look at Gael Garcia Bernat, homeboy has green eyes. He's light, Diego Luna she also. Even if you look at the three amigos, I think the darker one out of the three is, is Iñárritu, Guillermo del Toro, also kind of blonde, green eyes. Um, Guaron, also light skin. So it, there, there is a trend <laughs> that, that lighter, uh, lighter skinned Latinos tend to be, I mean, more um, have more opportunities. So I'm glad that these conversations are happening. Mm -hmm. um, in regards to the apologies that happen, if they've been posted or not, I cannot, I, I don't feel I'm in a position. Uh, I also feel like there should be, I feel a bit restricted in a sense that I don't want to speak on behalf of a community I'm not a part of in terms of the Afro-Latinos. So in that case, I, I have nothing to say about the apologies that were being handed out by both uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Rita Moreno. Um, uh, what I will say is the tweet I, I posted out earlier, mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of learning and teaching to do. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very, I'm a strong believer of, I'm very, very open uh, to, to talking about people, to people who are very 
um, who are either half thoughts or ideas um, opposed to mine or different from mine. I'm very open to having conversations um, like that, but I, I am afraid that I'm not necessarily fond of the quick uh, judgment and, and how, um, how, how we're so quick to judging people without getting uh, context as to either tweets or, or interpreting uh, what's being displayed in the film or what people are saying, like the Rita Moreno case. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am a big believer in learning, learning and growing. Yeah. Um, teacher and, 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 and talk. <laughs> Let's have these conversations <laughs> and why they're important to have them because that's the only way we're going to learn and we're going to grow and it's the only way for progress. It's, it's a learning and growing experience and the only way we learn is by teaching others. So I, I'm a big believer in that and Again, I, I, I very much I support <laughs> that this this having these conversations and and having a more that that's also a, a part of having successful representation mm-hmm. on screen. Again, going yeah. back to the beginning of the podcast, if you can see yourself at least more than once in a movie, then we're slowly going getting there and and it's a part it's just the progress sadly slow one um but it's something we're working towards and we still have a lot a -hmm. lot of work to do um but yeah and that i think i know probably not a lot of help in terms of uh these conversations just because i do feel like in some instances, I don't think it's my place to to say or demand or say anything or to claim uh, to be an ally to anybody just because, to me, uh, actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. And my form of allyship is amplifying these voices, amp- amplifying and supporting um, fellow uh, Afro-Latinas who are being very vocal about this, and rightfully so, because we mm-hmm. do need to have these conversations and representation does matter. Yeah, I, I do think the uh, the the conversation the conversation is certainly the most important first step, and especially li- just being able to listen to other people with their uh, people with their grievances, people with uh, their their thoughts and feelings on it. And I mean, not not um, trying to just not trying to silence them, but allowing them to speak their mind and to be able to take it in uh, as much without judgment as we can. And I think that that's, that's the most important thing. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why it's like, I'm, I, I certainly, like I said, I'm certainly not somebody who can, you know, who, somebody who, who can speak intelligently on these and I mean I'm I'm learning too and it's like I I'm I'm you know as as I watch these movies as I listen to people online uh, talk about these movies it's like I'm learning as much as everybody else and uh, that's that's one of the things that I I want to do it's like because if it makes me a better film watcher if it makes but also if it makes me a better person to be able to understand where these people are coming from and to understand where and to try to um, amplify 
amplify these voices as much as I can to mm-hmm. get their get their thoughts and feelings uh, heard. I mean, that's that's ultimately the most important thing. I mean, we, you and I both have platforms in which we can amplify voices that we yeah. we we are we want to be able to amplify so that they get heard in the same way that we get heard. And I mean, I think that's that, I mean, I think that's one of the things that, you know, it's like with, with Lin-Manuel Miranda, it's like, you know, I, as a, I, I've also been a creative artist over the years. And I mean, you basically create from your own experiences and that, you know, could have been more his experience and it's like it's not to say that it's a you know it's not to say you know and art is never created within is is always created within the bubble of the artist it's like you can try to be as inclusive as possible when you make it but at the same time it's like it's going to be as much about your personal life experiences than I uh, than it is in then not and i i think that's that's one of those things and um that's one of the the things that i want to say about uh you know it doesn't necessarily to a certain extent it doesn't necessarily i wouldn't necessarily say it diminishes the art that lin-manuel miranda created because he 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 is responsible for some wonderful songs and this and hamilton he, he's responsible for some really fascinating discussions on topics that interested him, uh, whether it's in in the Heights or Hamilton. And I I think he does I I think he does that successfully, even even if there's still uh, even if there's still flaws that can be seen uh, within the way those are presented. Yeah, sometimes. Um from my end I think the best thing I can do um, because again it's just been recently and again being doing this podcast um, doing my podcast and being on Twitter has taught me a lot as well Um, and in terms of of biases that I wasn't aware of or or just knee-jerk reactions that I would immediately have without necessarily thinking about it. And and, and it's been a learning, it's been a learning process. It's been a learning experience that, um, that I'm sure I still have a lot, (laughs) a lot, a lot, a lot to learn. And thankfully uh, I do have uh, friends and people I do follow on, on Twitter who are very uh, knowledgeable and they're intellectuals in terms of, of, of representation. And I think there's times that the best thing I can, best things, uh, best thing that I can do is just shut up and listen to them and see what they have to say, learn, um, amplify their voices and just be there, uh, be there and, and, and support them. Um, however, we wish to do that either. When, when amplifying either articles or tweets or, or just passing along the information because that, that does help a lot mm-hmm. um, in terms. And, and one example that I'm going to be completely honest with you was Latinos winning Oscars. Uh, I was always um, 
uh, I, I was always saying that Rita Moreno was the only woman in the history of the Academy Award, uh, the only Latina to win an Academy Award until it was brought to my attention that Lupita Nyong'o is Mexican. Um, I wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't aware that she was Mexican. Um, and now, I mean, it's good to know now there's two, <laughs> two Latinas in the history of the Academy Awards. Um, but again, it's a learning process. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's something that we, we, we can, only thing we can do, me as one of the privileged uh, Latinas who does see herself on screen a little bit more often than uh, my fellow Afro-Latinos, um, all I can do is help and speak up and, and help amplify their voices and do something <laughs> about it because my silence is certainly unfortunately adding to the oppression and, and the continuous exclusion of that representation. So yeah, it's, 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 I, I can see how it can be a bit difficult or uncomfortable to have these conversations, but at the end of the day, we need to have them. Otherwise we're, we're, we're not going to go anywhere. If we don't have these yeah. conversations, there's going to be no progress. So from my end, I listen I help, I amplify and I do my best, Mm -hmm. um, to, to learn and, and, and just do, do my, my, my part. And at times, like I said, uh, just staying quiet and letting and and learning and just grasping everything. And I'm never, ever, ever, and I'm very well aware of that. I'm never going to know what it's like, uh, to be a, um, a black person in this country. Uh, I know what it is to be a brown one, um, not a, a black one. However, it does not necessarily mean I have to be desensitized of their experience just because I don't know what it's like. Yeah. Um, all these stories, everything we've heard um, in the news or through friends or anything like that, we just have to support, <laughs> try to do, do our part and just be... Um, just be a, a, an ally and, and, and just be in solidarity with them and, and do our end and do our part to try to um, amplify their voices, their stories, because all of our stories matter. Yeah. And even if, it, even if In the Heights is lacking in full representation of Latinos, I mean, ultimately, what this movie does successfully for me at least and I, I i would hope for others uh other uh you know middle-aged white guys like me is that they it 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 represents a way of looking at the latino community beyond the stereotypes that a lot of uh, that we have been in none in yeah that, that we've basically had basically our entire lives in terms of uh, Latino characters, Mexican characters, and just just in general, sort of the, the types of characters that Danny Trejo's played over the years. And, and you know, that's, that's where a movie like In the Heights, and you mentioned Spy Kids, that's an excellent example. Uh, and it's, it's, it's one that I, I, I love that movie when it came out 20 years ago. And, it's hard to believe it's 20 years but uh yeah. but but the thing is it's like it, it that type of 
it even even if it's not even if it's lacking in full representation of the community, I, I think it does at least from my outsider's perspective, still represent the community well because of the fact that it gives us characters that we can relate to, characters that we can empathize with, but ultimately characters that are very much still of their community rather than just, you know, transmuting their their stories to like a white lifestyle. And I think that's I, I think that's where in the heights as as representation does still succeed. Yes. Uh, absolutely. I think what in the heights uh, does is it depicts that demographic, that group of Latinos who are proud of their ancestry, who are proud of their heritage, who have never forgotten um, where they come from, where their ancestors come from, everything their ancestors have had to experience for us to have a better life, to provide a better future for us pretty much. And I, I can attest, I am one of those people, uh, my parents very much uh, made sure that I was uh, proud and, and, and conscious of my roots, of my ancestry, of my culture. And I kid you not, I, I've said that a, this a billion times and I'll probably say it a billion more, but in that sequence of Carnaval de Barrio, when you have all the Latin American flags, I think it's one of the most powerful moments in that movie. It's one of those powerful moments, particularly for people like myself who views the Mexican flag um, with such pride, with such joy as a representation of my identity, of my culture, of my ancestry, and to be and to see it being flown with such celebration, with such joy and pride, it, it filled me up with joy. It, it just filled me up with tears. It, I was emotionally moved by that because I am that type of person. Mm -hmm. I am very proud of being from Mexican descent. I am proud every time I see that Mexican flag. So for those of us who are very much proud of, of, of where we come from, I'm pretty sure that scene meant a lot to them as well. And also to see all the Latin American flags there, flags that probably people don't know what countries they're from, uh, either because we were ignorant of geography or, or, or we just have never seen them in film before. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's something worth noting. And the four flags that are in the song, which is the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, um, Mexico, and Cuba, those four countries uh, alone pretty much make up majority of the Latinos here in the United States. Um, although Mexico, uh, Latinos from Mexican descent make like 60 or 63% of Latinos in the US, which is quite a vast majority of us here. Um, but yeah, the, those four countries predominantly make a lot of, of, of the population in the US. And man, that number, man, it, it's, it's just so powerful just yeah. to see it there, uh, just to see the joy and the celebration and the bit vibrancy and to see all the, the Brazilian flag, the, the Panamanian flag, flag and everything. Um, it's just beautiful and, and it's such an, a 
moving, moving, moving sequence. And, mm -hmm. and it goes to say that in that instance, I think it does nail the representation, even if it's just seeing your flag there uh, being hang, hung and just being celebrated because all those countries. And, and I, I said it in my podcast, but that sequence is the visual representation that Latinos are not a monolith. Mm -hmm. We come from different countries. We come from different places, different cultures, different languages. And that scene certainly visually represents that. Well, on that note, I, I think that's a good, it's a very good positive note to end uh, this discussion on. Uh, before we go, Rosa, where, where can people find you online? Yes. Um, I am on every social media platform, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Rosa's Reviews. All right. Well, thank you very much. Be sure to check out the Latinx Lens podcast. It's really quite informative and really, in it's, it's really engaging and uh, well worth listening to. And Rosa, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, no problem. Thank you for inviting me and for providing your platform for a Latino perspective. I greatly appreciate it. I'd like to thank Rosa for joining me tonight to talk about In the Heights. It was a Wonderful perspective to uh, get her uh, thoughts on the movie, about the controversies and the uh, discussions on representation that are still going on. And uh, it's, it's a complicated thing. And the, the one thing I will say about it, uh, the one thing I almost feel like I am, you know, the one thing I can probably feel comfortable in saying about it is the, the important thing is when, when somebody feels like they're underrepresented in pop culture, in films, and just in general, is to just listen to the perspectives of those people and to take it in. And I, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to uh, follow Rose on social media for a, uh, for over a couple, for about a couple of years now. And, it's been it's been really enlightening to get her perspective. I'm glad I was able to have her on the podcast. That's it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Uh, we've got a lot more really interesting discussions coming up with some very interesting guests, and I hope you join me at uh, the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as the sunk-sima.com. Thank you very much for joining me. <laughs>